Thanks for listening to the gathering from Storyline Church. Love, love, love. Is there a day that goes by when we don't hear about love? But what is it? Defining it is so difficult. Understanding it is elusive. God actually invented something to show us what love looks like. This past Sunday at Storyline's gathering, we began to explore God's invention and how we might grow more and more in love. The band performed songs by John Legend, The Eagles, Damian Rice, Megan Trainer, and more. Let's have a listen.
house of dreaming Silver and gold Like a scene from a movie Let every broken heart knows We were walking on moonlight When you held me close Split second and you disappeared And then I was all club or a social club. We're just a group of husbands collectively waiting for our wives um, in the Target parking lot. I used to get so bored. Hours and hours of waiting in the car. I thought it'd be a good idea one time to go in with the wife. Thought I could maybe scout out some camping gear or something like that. Just ended up holding their purse. Eventually I just started returning the carts just to stay busy, get a little exercise. And then the target management noticed and they offered me a job. They said I could work whenever my wife was shopping. 
Last week I clocked 12 hours. Then one day everything changed. I'm sitting in the car, it's been 63 minutes, I'm furious, and then there's this knock on the window. Hey, got some new jerky. You want, you want to try some? Charlie's beef jerky, yeah. That was honestly the start of our friendship. You know, it didn't happen all at once. Honestly, I don't remember how it started. Penn came along and then this Miles guy started parking closer to us and then eventually like the group was just formed. What do we do here? Well, uh, we toss the ball around, play some cards, you know, a little gambling. Uh, we have supper if it gets late enough. When Miles brought his grill, <laughs> it changed everything. One summer we did a series of car washes and we actually raised enough money to put a big screen in the back of Penn's van. That was a good summer. For a while the kids were real damper on the group, you know, but then we got a two-car system going where each guy takes a 15-minute shift watching the kids while the others just get to chill, hang out. Eventually we decided just to put a security camera in the daycare van so we can keep an eye on the kids but also keep a full poker table. Oh, God! This will pay for my uh, wife's target run. Hey, somebody get eyes on the kids? Oh, they're fine. My wife and I used to constantly fight about how much time she was spending at Target. But now, thanks to the group, my marriage is stronger than ever. I clip coupons for her now, so we can head to Target and I can hang out with the guys and she can do her thing, uh, whatever she does in there. Taylor, oh. we gotta go. Go. Oh, come on, babe, five more minutes? No, we gotta go right just now. Five, just five. five more minutes. You guys have been in here all day. Oh. Damn, see the sale on the um, they're really, They're really nice. They're yep. real cute. Got, gotta go. I know it sounds crazy, but I look forward to those throw pillows going on sale now. Get to see my boys. Hi, we're, we're coming tomorrow? Yeah, they got a sale tomorrow. You'll be here. You got a sale tomorrow? Time. Okay, all right, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Yeah, all right, sounds good. Tomorrow. You know, we have so much in common. We all have wives, and they're all in there somewhere. My name is Miles. My name is Pitt. My name is Charlie. My name is Taylor. And I am a target husband. And I'm a target husband. And I am a target husband. And I'm a target husband. Uh, I know. <laughs> I probably watched that 20 times this week. I love that so much. Good morning, folks. It's so good to be together. A friend sent me that video. And it's so great. It's, it's not only funny. It's really insightful because I think it really illustrates yet another complication in human life. And, you know, it's been said that there is really no cure for being human. But I think when we recognize that men and women really are different, um, that, that it helps to just acknowledge that. And so for the last few weeks, we have been exploring something that makes life worth it all, worth all of the complication, all of the differences between people in this series that we've been calling Love Matters Most. And the theme seems to be resonating with quite a few of us, and so right now I just wanna take a second and thank everybody who's been sending me videos and song ideas and movie clips and things like that. Obviously when you're talking about Love Matters Most, the, the um, you know, the, the resources are just all over the place, and so I, I appreciate that, and as always, what we do on Sunday morning is a collaboration, not just from the stage, but amongst all of us. So thank you so much for that, I really do love it. But the angles that we've considered on love thus far have been pretty kind of heavy. And um, so this morning I thought we might lighten it up a little bit. And so we're gonna take a kind of an easier, just a light stroll through a straightforward and easy topic of marriage. 
And so, uh, <laughs> now I, have, I know, I know. Now I have to tell you from the outset that I am not an expert on marriage. And I know this because my wife told me so. And my wife is an expert on marriage. So along with how to drive, where I should park, how I should dress, what I should eat, and just about everything else in my life. So Lisa and I have been married for 31 years now, this summer, thank you. And like all marriages, We've had our ups and our downs and a whole lot of in-between. But before we begin, I think it's really important uh, to make a point that all relationships are really complicated. They're complicated enough. And I know that for many of us, the topic of marriage specifically is an incredibly difficult and painful subject for possibly many, many reasons. Some of us have lost a spouse. I know that a number of storyliners have suffered with the loss of a spouse in recent years, some very recently. Others are right now in the middle of a huge struggle in our marriage, maybe a huge struggle for our marriage. I know that there are folks here today who are single, who would love to be married, and some who are divorced and feel very defeated, who've been betrayed, who are suffering from loneliness and abandonment, and so marriage is just a complicated topic for many reasons. It's a very difficult subject regardless of our status, married, single, divorced, widowed, and, and here's why. Because it's, we all know that it's really, really important. It really is. And tragically, all too often, in an attempt to make sure that marriage is like highly valued, there are communities and specifically communities of faith that can make single people feel kind of like the JV team and divorced folks feel like there's something wrong with them. And so we're gonna be talking about marriage this week and next week and so I wanna be like crystal clear from the very beginning that being single is not an inferior state of being or an inferior way to live your life. It has tremendous challenges and rewards just like every other uh, way of living life. And um, it's complicated in its own right. And as far as divorce goes, it is true that God hates divorce, but he hates it in the same way that he hates car wrecks because he loves people. But God does not hate people who've been in a car wreck. And so I, those two things can go together. Storyline believes with everything that we have that God is a God of second chances and new beginnings. And if that isn't true for divorced people, then it isn't true for anyone. We are all in the same boat. There are no second class citizens in God's kingdom. So none of us have done nor, have had, nor has had anything done to us that puts us beyond God's grace. So if you are divorced, that does not mean you are a failure. If you are single, it does not mean you are inferior. Marriage, married, divorced, single, widowed, we are all in the same boat. We are made by a God who loves us first, who loves us unconditionally, who loves us always, who made us out of love, for love, to love. We are loved to, um, out of a relationship, for relationships, and apart from God's grace, each and every one of us are unable to make them flourish as they were designed to. 
So I think it's really clear that we say that from the beginning because everybody's status when it, in relationship to marriage is different, even for those of us who are married. So that, that being said, let's jump in. Recognizing that marriage is a topic that's about much more than marriage. And I hope that's what will come out of these next couple weeks. So just one generation ago, 75% of all adult Americans were married. Today, it's less than 50%. And that number is going down. We all know the famous stat that about half of marriages end in divorce, but did you know that of the 50% of marriages that survive, only 10% at any given time will you find that both partners describe themselves as happily married. Now what that means is if you do the math, that about one out of 20 marriages, weddings, result in a happy marriage. Now for an institution held in such high regard and battled over so intensely in the culture war that we always find ourselves in the midst of, it seems like we're really bad at it. When I was single, I had married friends. I would not visit their homes. I found their lives to be pathetic and depressing. <laughs> now that I'm married, I have no single friends. I find their lives to be meaningless and trivial experiences. In both cases, I believe I was correct. Whichever side of marriage you're on, you don't get what the other people are doing. I can't hang out with single guys. If you don't have a wife, we have nothing to talk about. You have a girlfriend? That's wiffle ball, my friend. You're playing paintball war. I'm in Afghanistan with real loaded weapons. <laughs> Married guys play with full clips and live rounds. This is not a drill. Single guys sitting on a merry-go-round blowing on a pinwheel. I'm driving a truck full of nitro down a dirt road. You single guys here tonight looking at me, hey Jerry, what if I want to be a married guy like you? What do I got to have if I want to be a married guy? I'll tell you what you got to have. You better have some answers, buddy. You better have some answers for that woman. Women have a lot of questions. Their brains are strong, active and on high alert at all times. You're sleeping, she's researching. The female brain is one of the most competent and capable organs in all of the biological universe. Girl power. There's nothing the female brain cannot do. It will solve all problems of earth and life. Having completed that, it will move on to the hypothetical. Theoretical situations that may or may not occur. <laughs> the female needs to know how you might respond. <laughs> being married is like being on a game show and you're always in the lightning round. <laughs> I went out and bought a game show podium. I set it up in my living room. I wake up in the morning. I stand behind the podium, try and answer all my wife's questions and get on with the goddamn day. I got a hand button clicker. I'll take movies I think we saw together for 200. <laughs> My wife, of course, is the returning champion from last week. I'll take details of a 10 minute conversation we had at three o'clock in the morning eight years ago. 
And I would like to bet everything I have on that, Alex. Oh, see, the laughter is telling us something, right? I know that all the guys are like, why is he talking about this? Just, it's like wading into a minefield. But this week and next week, we are gonna consider marriage and we're gonna ask two questions, okay? This morning, the question is, what is it? And then next week, what is it for? Or we could say it like this, what is the essence of marriage? And next week, we'll look at what is the mission of marriage? So the Bible actually begins with a marriage in the book of Genesis between Adam and Eve, and the Bible ends with a wedding. If you didn't know that, I think that's a really important thing about the Bible. It begins with a a marriage and it ends with a wedding in the book of Revelation of Jesus to his people. So marriage is not something that evolved in human history or appeared in the late Bronze Age or was invented in the Neolithic period. Marriage is God's idea. A couple of weeks ago, we, we went so far as to say it this way. Marriage is God's gift to love. Now we often think of that in in the other direction, that love is a gift to marriage, but it's actually the other way around, which is why this topic is of vital concern for everyone, regardless of our marital status. Marriage is the closest thing that we have to what God's vision of what love looks like, is like. So we're gonna frame our questions the next couple weeks in the light of the grace, of the, um, the gospel of grace of Jesus. And that's that the good news that there is nothing we can do to get God on our side because God is already on our side. And this means that everything God asks us to do and to not do is not his attempt to get something from us. It is his desire to give something to us. And relationships are his greatest gift. All relationships, they are his greatest gift. In fact, the only thing that lasts forever is relationships. And marriage is the example of how God wants us to relate to one another and to him. And that's why it's such so much bigger than just about marriage itself. So what is the essence of marriage? One of the objections that I hear to marriage goes like this. You know what, Mike? We're in love. We don't need a piece of paper to make it real. And essentially the argument is the essence, what they're saying to me is the essence of marriage is passion and feeling, not some contract or commitment, you know, some ceremony or some papers that we sign. But actually, according to the Bible, the essence of marriage is a lifelong binding commitment, a contract, or what the Bible calls a covenant, a covenant. Jesus said it this way, in the beginning God made man and a woman, and that's why a man leaves his father and mother and gets married. He becomes like one person with his wife. Then they are no longer two people but one, and no one should separate a couple that God has joined together. Covenant is the essence of marriage. Not because feelings and passion are unimportant or unnecessary, they are important. And they are necessary for a healthy marriage. But passion and feelings come and go and then they come and go. Covenants are different. In the Old Testament of the Bible, the first covenant was between God and Abraham. Paul actually talked about God and Abraham last week. God told Abraham in a different part of of that story, he said this, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
That is like a contract. This is the first covenant in the Bible. And ancient people would seal contracts or covenants by taking an animal and cutting it in half like this. Taking the carcass, spreading it out, and the blood would run together. And so both parties who were making the covenant together would walk through the middle, you know, ankle deep in blood. And the idea is if either one of us break this commitment, this is what will happen. A covenant was a blood oath. That's what it was. And a covenant is the essence of marriage because what God is saying is you're only going to find what you're looking for in this relationship when you give all of your life to it. All of your life. A dear friend sent me a quote and without using the word, this quote I think describes a covenant. This is what it says. Most people get married believing a myth that marriage is a beautiful box of all the things they have longed for. Companionship, intimacy, friendship. The truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. You must put something in before you can take anything out. There is no love in marriage. Love is in people. And people put love in marriage. There is no romance in marriage. You have to infuse it into your marriage. A couple must learn the art and the form, the habit of giving, loving, serving, praising, keeping the box full. If you take out more than you put in, the box will end up empty. See, essentially, in life, there are two kinds of relationships. Covenant relationships and consumer relationships. And God wants us, he's inviting us to form and nourish covenant relationships in our life because he's trying to give us something through relationships, through covenant relationships beyond marriage. So consumer relationships, we'll recognize these, they're just like they sound. You get into them for what you can get out of them. It's like a relationship that you have with your favorite shoe store. So for a random example in our home, say Zappos for whatever, okay? You go there or you get on that website and because you like the customer service, but you really are going there to get good shoes and lots of them apparently at a good price. Now, if another shoe store comes along and offers better shoes at a better price, in other words, you know, if you can get more out of having a relationship with that shoe store, well, you'll just move on. That's a consumer relationship. A covenant relationship, I think the closest thing, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the closest thing we have to it, have to it in real life is just the parent-child relationship. Children cry, they misbehave, they can be totally self-centered, completely self-absorbed, but we don't say, you know what? I've had enough of this parenting thing. You know, like, this isn't a good deal for me. I'm putting way more into it than I'm getting out of it. So I'm moving on. Now certainly, certainly child abandonment is a very real issue and it's horribly tragic and it's very, it happens. But you get my point. Typically no matter what a bad deal parenting is, the parent keeps giving and giving and giving. Remains committed because that's the nature of the relationship. It's a covenant a covenant. 
And while consumer relationships are about what we get, covenant relationships are about what we give. And when we enter into covenant relationships believing that there's a God and that God is good and God is a God of grace and he's inviting us into covenant relationships, we understand that covenant relationships are about what we give and that is how God changes us into people who will, as we've been talking about for about a month now, who will fall in love with love, with loving and being loved, who will love love when we stand face to face with him. So dating, ironically, even though it feels like it's in the same genre as a covenant relationship, it is very much a consumer relationship and I have to crack up um, at these uh, websites that essentially turn people into like shoes on Zappos where you're just, they're going and you know, swiping left, swiping right, you're just going through these profiles. It's Man, it's so crass to me, you know, as somebody at my age, but I get that it's hard to be a young person nowadays, and so I, I'm not judging it. It's just like so weird to me. But anyways, um, these consumer, I mean, dating is a consumer relationship, and I guess what I'm saying is young people today really don't even make any bones about it. They're not trying to pretend. Uh, we intuit this. Even back in my day in dating, we intuit that it's a consumer relationship, so we're always like putting our best foot forward all the time, we're marketing ourselves, but, with, but that all begins to change with marriage. There is a transition from a consumer to a covenant relationship. Everything changes in marriage, and sometimes it even changes at the wedding. There is and never has been any other man for me, Robert, and I promise to love you and go on loving you until the day I die. Clara, can't tell you how you've made me. I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. So this is it, we're really married now, yeah? <laughs> In the eyes of the Lord, yes. Brilliant. <laughs> I've been holding that in for four years. <laughs> oh. How many churches are using that this morning, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. My goodness, I don't know how I get away with this. Anyways, look, we all hold in all kinds of stuff <laughs> while we're dating because we know it's a consumer relationship and they could just move on, right? Which brings us to, I think, the first aspect, the first gra gracious gift of the covenant of, uh, when relationships are a covenant. And it's like, it goes like this. Covenant relationships create more intimacy. Intimacy, Brene Brown says, and she's a sociologist, she says, intimacy is the offspring of vulnerability our willingness to show and share our true selves. It is, in fact, the piece of paper. It's the covenant that we are bound through thick and thin for life that makes that kind of vulnerability possible. You could think of it like this, maybe. Consumer relationships are the state of love, like a noun, like this is working for me. I'm getting love from you, and so I'm gonna stick with this shoe store or this dating relationship. Covenant relationships are the story of loving. 
a verb. To stay in love, you have to make love. A verb. When we live out our relationships in covenant, it creates intimacy, which is closely related to, I think, a second gift of covenant relationships from God, which is they create more stability. They create more stability. Of, of all the marriages that claim to be unhappy, researchers have found that if these marriages stay together, just five years later, two-thirds of them claim to be happy. Now, what is it that got them through the tough times? Is it passion? Is it feelings? No, it's not. By definition, it's not. It's that piece of paper, or what that piece of paper represents, the covenant. It's the covenant. Do you remember in high school, we all had to read uh, Homer's poem, The Odyssey? I remember it, I thought it was awful. But anyways, we were going through it for, it seemed like an entire quarter of the, of the year. And at one point in that story, the hero, Odysseus, sails past the island of beautiful sirens, these beautiful women that all the other sailors would sail past, sail past, get distracted, tempted, and they would shipwreck on this island. So Odysseus, before he gets there, he ties himself, there he is in that uh, picture, he ties himself to the mast so that he won't jump overboard or get into a lifeboat to, to swim to shore and be wrecked on the rocks. He knew that for a while, in the, there might come a time in the future when he would forget his true destination because the ship that he was on and the direction he was headed got tough, got difficult. And he didn't want a shipwreck, so he literally bound himself to the mast. This is what the vows are in a wedding. We all go, you know, we get misty-eyed when we hear people exchanging vows, but really, uh, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, wedding vows are basically saying, look, I feel like this today, and I'm making this vow to you in front of God and all these people because I know I'm not gonna feel like this later. I'm tying myself to you, right? Wedding vows are the opposite of trusting in our feelings and passion. It's an admission that I will wreck this ship. I will wreck this ship if I live by my feelings, so I'm tying myself to the mast, to one another. So why do we do it? Did you know that when God created the world in Genesis, every time he creates something, he declares it's good, it's good. The sea, it's good. The sun, it's good. The animals, good. And then he created one man, one guy, by himself. And the Bible says, this is not good, okay? <laughs> now, my wife's out of town right now, and if you saw our house, you'd be like, this is so not good, right? Now, I, it was beyond Adam just leaving his dirty socks on the floor and eating mac and cheese out of a dirty pan over and over, okay? Which may or may not be happening at my house. But God saw him alone and he said, this isn't good. And then this is what God did. He made someone the total opposite of Adam and said, you're gonna live together. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be. But when God saw Adam and Eve together, it's the only thing, it's the only thing in all of creation that he described as very good. Look, I don't have to make a commitment to eat ice cream. 
one very generous and amazing storyline family who shall remain nameless got me Jenny's ice cream for Christmas, okay? So, I get, so what happens is every month I get several containers of these and I usually make them last at least a day. And so I get these containers every month. It's like my favorite day of the month and it's just the best present ever. Now, I didn't ask for it and of course I would never do such a thing because it'd just be crass to like <laughs> do something like that. But I don't have to take a vow I don't have to take a vow to eat ice cream or to watch TV. The easy stuff, the stuff that can slowly but surely steal our life away comes naturally. It's the good but hard stuff that we have to commit to because we know that there will be moments, there will be days, maybe even long seasons where we don't feel like doing what needs to be done to fill up the box in this covenant relationship. So we have to commit to it. We have to make love a verb, a story, not a state. That is a covenant. And on the other side of that labor of love is the birth of intimacy and the stability that we all need for life to be very good. Covenant relationships are much more about being the right person as opposed to finding the right person or changing the person that you have into the person that you think you want.
Thank you. So, so covenant relationships, they cultivate, they create intimacy and stability. As we move forward together in that kind of commitment, what we find is the birthplace of God in our life, in our heart, in this manger, in the midst of all this danger. We start to recognize that it's not our job to change someone else. That's God's role in their life, and our job is to be there, be a consistent source of support, encouragement, love, and truth, hard truth, when, when it needs to be. That's the, that's the stability and vulnerability and intimacy that you get in a covenant, but that we can't change people, and we certainly can't be the kind of people who need somebody else to change, or else we're out. So that, that is, what I think, what God is after. And lastly, I think there's one last thing that we could talk about when we ask the question, well, what is marriage? What are covenant relationships? How are they a gift of grace? And the third one is covenant relationships actually create more freedom. Now, this is a really counterintuitive, especially for men, I think, when, when they view marriage, because when you've ever noticed, like when a couple gets engaged, the women are, are, I'm generalizing, it's not always true, but the women are just overjoyed, there's this huge celebration, and when men get engaged, it can be some, like someone died, like, have you ever heard, like, did you, did you hear about Mitch? He's getting married, what? No, I just saw him the other day, what happened? It's like, Okay, so there's, well, it's another way that we're a little bit different, right? But the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard talked about freedom a lot, and he was very big into making and keeping commitments. And, and his thinking went like this. If you don't know the discipline of making a, and, and a promise and sticking with it, this is so counterintuitive, listen to this, but I think it's brilliant. If you don't know the discipline of making a promise and sticking with it, you are not a free person. His point is, apart from making and keeping commitments, we are actually enslaved to our own impulses, to the moment, to circumstances and feelings. Without being bound to the fulfillment of our promises, we can't be fully human because only human beings are free enough to freely give up their freedom. It's a brilliant point. And ironically, doing that is the path to the freedom we so desperately desire because it's the freedom that we were made for. Now, I've met many times with people who are struggling with their marriage. And I should say that I have met many times with people about my marriage when, when I'm struggling. So I'm not an expert, all I can do is share my story, but I can say this, to this point in my life, this is, I'm gonna be 58, and to this point in my life, this is what I know, everything. 
and I mean everything in my life that is good, that is very good. Everything is the result of God's grace working itself out in my life primarily through keeping commitments to my wife, to my children, to my family, to storyline, and all of that beginning with, empowered by, and finished with, and finished from, and followed through with the commitment to follow Jesus, and all of that, most importantly, all of that is growing out of the grace of Jesus's covenant commitment to me first. It's not about me. No matter what the movies try to glamorize or the songs romanticize, life is not found in giving into our nature, to what we want when we want it. Life is found in overcoming and in doing our nature and in doing so, transforming ourselves or allowing ourselves to be transformed. That is human freedom. Bob Mitchell was one of the presidents of Young Life and I was fortunate enough um, to hear him speak at a Young Life weekend. It's a very young man, I was probably 25 years old. And he told the story of two rivers in Texas near where he grew up, the Green River and the Trinity River. And he talked about the Trinity River and he said the Trinity River ran through mountains and canyons and so it had these really high steep banks but the Green River was different. The Green River ran through the plains of Texas, the flatlands, and it has low banks. It takes its time. It just kind of meanders freely. But when the hard times hit, he said, when the rainy days come, the Green River floods. It wreaks havoc and destruction. The Trinity River, however, because of its steep banks, it runs faster, it runs deeper, it runs more powerfully. The Green River has no constraints. By the look of it, it's free. But that kind of freedom results in destruction. The Trinity River is constrained and because of that, it's free to be a river. Even in the worst of times, it provides power and nourishment to hundreds of thousands of people. The Bible says that the love of Jesus constrains us. Covenantal love, the kind that makes love a verb, constrains us. It motivates us to build high, steep banks in our life, to make commitments relational commitments especially because it is in marriage, uh, children, family, friends, those kinds of covenantal commitments. When we keep them, that cultivates a freedom in our life that we lose ironically when we just follow our feelings wherever they may go. Freedom is found, another way of saying this, in dying to ourselves in sailing past temptation, even if that means we have to tie ourselves down. When the floodwaters come, free people run deeper. That's why God's invitation 
to nourish covenant relationships in our life, with marriage being the example, is a gift he's trying to give us. Freedom is the content of our person overcoming the context of our lives. Only human beings made in the image of God, constrained by the love of Jesus, only a truly free human being can do that, can live that way, and begin to, at at the very least, want to break free from following our feelings, from following the, the baggage that was handed to us by our parents or our context for this is how you handle tough or difficult times. This is how you numb yourself or protect yourself or keep yourself from fear. And you lean right in to the worst and the hardest things about life because you know that freedom is on the other side of that. In the covenant of marriage, a commitment we enter into, not for what we get, but for what we give, God is giving us something very good. He's showing us the path to intimacy, how to create stability and cultivate freedom for our souls, and that is what we are made for. A few years ago, I spent a very long uh, weekend at a spiritual retreat. I referenced this story a few weeks ago, so forgive me for repeating because I I just think it's so great, but it was lots of times in silence and reflection and prayer, and so um, that was all really hard for me, but really good for me, and at the end, I was talking to the man who facilitated the entire weekend, and I asked him the question, how do you know? What leads you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? and that he is good, and that he's good for us, and that the things he's asking us to do and that things he's asking us not to do are invitations to a flourishing, fulfilling, abundant life. And I will never forget what this man said. I had never heard this before, never even thought about it before, but he said to me, Mike, that's easy. Jesus is the only person who kept all of his commitments. I was blown away, I wasn't expecting that at all, and here's how I've come to think about it. What makes the life of Jesus miraculous is not what he did that we want to but can't, it's the things that he did that we can do but don't. It's not the miracles, the walking on water, the healing the sick, the raising the dead, what makes the life of Jesus miraculous is he followed through every time. Faced with the ability to escape his situation, evade persecution, avoid pain, and consume for himself pleasure, power, and position, Jesus kept his commitment, his covenant to us to seek and save me and you. Jesus clearly has strong feelings and incredible passion, but even for him, these would come and go and they would come and go, and what saved the world was not passion and feelings. What saved the world was a commitment kept. Jesus dying on the cross for us. And it's his invitation to a covenant relationship with God and to one another to stand together with him and for others that continues to be the way that God will save the world. When the night 
has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see no i won't be afraid no i won't be afraid just as long as you stand stand by me so darling darling stand by me oh stand by me oh stand stand by me stand by me if the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall or the mountain should crumble to the sea i won't cry i won't cry no i won't shed a tear just as long as you stand, stand by me Darling, darling, stand by me Oh, stand by me Stand by me, stand by me Darling, darling, stand by me Stand by me Whenever you're in trouble Won't you stand by me Oh, stand by me Stand by me Stand by me Thank you Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Michael. So the older I get, the more I'm amazed and amused a little, to, to admit, at the, the, the naivete of these young couples on their wedding day. And the more I truly appreciate and admire the courage and faith, the hope and the love it takes when folks who are divorced marry again. These second marriages have become, for me, an incredible source of inspiration because these folks know what they're doing. <laughs> and as I watch these couples love each other so intentionally, so aware that what they have now and what they're considering is precious and priceless and fragile, they, they, are, they are to me a living reminder of God's faithfulness. Several years ago, I sent an email to all of the couples that I had married, and I heard back from a number of them, and I was just checking in on them, and, and one of them wrote me back, and I got this note from a dear friend about his second marriage. He was devastated by his divorce, and I walked with it through him, and he knew firsthand 
and I knew firsthand he was utterly defeated. But in this note, he talked about his experience in, in storyline, and this is what he wrote. I had decided that I was not going to get married again. I would hike and write and be a happy bachelor. And then I realized God was a God of love. That is who he is. And he loves people because that is his nature. God loves to love people. And I thought if God is in me and his nature is to love, then mine is too. It's God's greatest gift to us and I need to be open to love again. And a short time later, I met her. God's love for us is his invitation into a covenant relationship with him. And when we fail, and we have, and we do, and we will, he pays the price. He walks through the blood. He picks up the pieces, and we get to start again. That is the essence of a covenant. It's the essence of marriage. It's the essence of how God wants us to relate to him and with one another. And it creates intimacy and stability and freedom. It's the ultimate gift of grace and it's very, very good. It's about much more than just marriage. So that is, I think, what marriage is, the essence of marriage. Next week, we'll consider what's it for? What is the mission of marriage and covenant relationships? I hope you'll join us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for loving us, for coming to us as a covenant God who is committed to us through thick and thin, regardless of how we show up. I pray for all of us who are in a covenant relationship that we would show up for one another in that same way, through thick and thin, that we would look for ways to admire and adore one another, that we would put stuff into the box, whether it's romance or stability or intimacy or vulnerability, and that we would recognize that by doing so, we are following you in to stability, intimacy, and freedom. Thank you so much for the example that marriage is regardless of our personal relationship to it um, because it is an example of the gift of the covenant that you're offering each and every one of us. I pray that we would leave here this morning with that hope regardless of our marital status. God, I pray that this morning as we leave, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.